Hey there, welcome to Cageless, a conversation podcast about experiential wisdom and personal hope. I'm Jenny Johnson. I'm a writer, and I'm asking experts, thought leaders, and my friends to share their knowledge and tools on how they found freedom. Welcome to season one. Today, I have a guest that I wish every person could personally meet, even though I haven't personally met him in real life, but we have become dear friends uh, through the magical world of the internet. This is Reed Burvick. Hi, Reed. Hi, Jenny. I'm so touched and honored to be here in that very, very nice intro. That was Yes. I am wow. so excited that you have agreed to be a part of the Cageless podcast in our first season. Reed, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction? Who are you? Wow. Who am I? Well, I am a right now I'm a mental health coach. I'm a writer. I basically like to make things and create things. I think like I have the creative, I don't know, archetype of a person. And I can co-sign that. I, I just like to try to help people understand themselves better, engage with themselves in a deeper level, and maybe, I don't know, maybe have a couple laughs along the way. Yes, you are. You're funny. You're totally okay. funny. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what mood I'm in today. Because sometimes I go melancholy, Jenny. Yeah. Well, and you know, him and I um, have also spoken about the Enneagram. Any Enneagram themes uh, out there? We are both Enneagram fours, so we do love to exist in the realm of emotion. So it makes sense that you work in mental health. Mm-hmm. We want to feel our feelings. We want Which to find we our, our we uh, unique our significance in the world. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. Yes. Okay, Reed, for our audience members, can we start at the best place to begin, which is the start, the beginning? Tell me a little bit about um, where you are now and where you came from. Location-wise, I am in New Orleans where I am recording this right now, but I am on like a year of travel. I am bouncing around from city to city. I started in Maine, worked my way down the coast, popping Mm -hmm. over this way, going to go to the West Coast. So I'm on like this unique year of travel, but I hail from Denver. That's home. That's where Mm -hmm. I was born and raised. Mm -hmm. And my life was a fairly normal white suburban life. Like I went to school. I played sports. I didn't know a lot about mental health because emotions weren't really talked about on the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. where I was raised. And it's funny, you know, you talked to me at 15. I, I, mental health. I, di- I, didn't know, I didn't know that phrase existed. Like, I didn't know it existed until college. Until I, I think I did, I did like RA training. And they were talking about, here's how you help your students with your mental health. And I'm like, what's that? You said mental, you said mental health. What does that mean? And then 10 years later, I went to therapy at like 23. So I had like a decade of unchecked depression. 23. And like, yeah, yeah. And so that was about five years ago. Maybe I was 22. But I'd say like early childhood was solid enough. I mean, my dad was really cool. My mom did great for us in a lot of ways. But in an emotional sense, they weren't there. And then I got very, very into like evangelical Christianity 
And that's kind of how I tried to cope from all the things I was worried about and had a sense of control and tried to be this great, like, missions dude, yes. And then that kind of all crumbled down, and then I left that, and then I shifted into mental health. And now I'm like, okay, I feel like I know who I am. I know where all my pains come from. I know how I cope poorly. I know what I need to do. I don't always do the things that I know that I need to do. I don't know. That's a very roundabout answer to your question. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) That was a beautiful spark notes. I think that something that really attracted me to you was your level of self-awareness, specifically as a cisgendered straight white man in America, Mm. and your capability to hold yourself accountable, but also holding other others accountable as well. Um, Reed and I actually first met on application of TikTok. And as many people... application. Yeah. As many (laughs) people know, TikTok tends to be a pretty safe space for us who have been on the internet for a while. Um, It's a place kind of known to be authentic. And so seeing Reed take up such a space on the internet where a lot of people love to hide and like put on their costume. Um, Watching you be really honest has been really inspiring to me and I know to a lot of other people. So you say that you had a lot of pent up emotions, even though there wasn't really something specific in your life, you know, like you didn't have like an extremely like abusive, hostile home life, right? Um, so what is your, your definition of abuse? Like when it comes to physical, emotional, mental, what is the, what is the line there? What's the definition? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, abuse comes down to just consistent violation of boundaries and it, abuse always necessitates some sort of abuse of power. So there's a power dynamic there. There is some sort of a manipulation of that, and it's like a usage thing. I'm going to use this person in this way to get this thing for myself. That's good. So I don't, I've never been abused. I would never mm-hmm. say that I've been abused personally, but I haven't been neglected. Yeah. And so emotional neglect is something. Oh, yeah. There's a huge difference. You know what's interesting, though? Abuse and neglect often show up in the same part of the brain. And so it can actually, so people who have been neglected, maybe even just in an emotional sense, maybe all the food was on the table, parents drove them to all their activities, but they're emotionally just totally abandoned. They could have effects in their life or a prognosis of their life that could have some similarities to somebody who's been abused. Now, of course, there's going to be differences. There's a difference in how those things are, are kind of stored in the body, I suppose, But for somebody like me, emotional uh, neglect was what it was. And Mm -hmm. so when I had these big emotions, you know, you run to your parents, right? Like any kid who falls off a bike when they're six, where they run into, they run to your parents. So when did you stop running to your parents? And you can start to track through, oh, I didn't feel pursued emotionally. I didn't feel like my parents attuned to me emotionally or tried to develop that part of my life. And when you either get invalidated, you get ignored, you get brushed aside by like a parent or a caregiver when you're trying to emotionally gain connection or reach out for support and comfort, 
right. if you don't get received well, you are going to start to think that you are flawed. So it's like this deep core childhood wound that a lot of folks who have some sort of emotional neglect that they carry and it, they don't even really know that they carry it because that's like implicit memory. Like we can't actively think, oh yeah, when I was three years old and I reached out for support and didn't, like we don't have that capability. I have shame in reaching out for my needs because my needs were never communicated. My emotional needs were never shown as like good and worthy of support. Yeah. Maybe always is a bit strong, but if the trajectory is you felt that a lot, then there's some yes. stuff to tend to. Yes. When did you recognize this neglect in your own life? Yeah, I honestly didn't recognize it until um, I was in grad school. And I took this class on family systems. It was a, talking about how do you understand family systems? How do you ca- counsel families and, and couples and, and light of family systems? And I started to learn about family dynamics and conflict roles. So that's when I, that's when I started to kind of realize what I experienced and why it was important for me to like tend to some wounds and find healing. And like, I wasn't just making shit up. I actually had hurts and pains. Yeah. Right. And so you started therapy, I presume, Mm -hmm. 22, 23. And what was, what was your moment that, or do you have a moment that you were like, I think I want to be better. I think that I don't want Mm. to fall into these generational learned habitual things that I'm starting to recognize in my parents because there are people like there is a difference between emotional intelligence and you know the resilience or like the the propelling of choosing to be better because you can know and choose not to I think one of the first big moments of therapy that happened for me was two things with one therapist I had she was an angel she was really good she basically she diagnosed me with depression which basically told me that there was something wrong with me. Not like core to who I am, but there was some shit going on. And this is like a medical thing. Like depression's a real thing. And I felt normal and validated like I never did before. And she talked to me a lot about ownership. Like ownership of my life. Like you can make decisions. She was trying to shift this external locus of control. Like, ah, pity party victim mode to an internal... Reed, you actually have control. You can actually make moves. You can actually change. And she did it in a really good way. Um, and it's taken me a long time to slowly lean into the path of ownership and taking accountability for myself and um, not be a victim because that's something I did. I would have pity parties for a number of years when I felt hurt. Um, can I ask, how has this played out? We've talked about family. How has this played out in romantic relationships or friendships or yeah. co-working peer yeah. relationships? Mm-hmm. Because it's such, it, mm-hmm. it is not a, uh, it is a countercultural thing. I have at least learned to hold yourself mm-hmm. accountable yep. because there, nothing tastes worse than saying you're sorry. And I really hate that about our culture. I love to be proved. I'm mm-hmm. learning to yep. love to be proven wrong and saying, you know what? Actually, thank you for letting me like look at it through your lens. Like, thank you for mm-hmm. letting me yep. make this a learning opportunity. Um, I'm sorry that I didn't look at it or that I hurt you that way. If I really hurt somebody and I don't think I did anything wrong, like it doesn't matter. I hurt them. They're feeling hurt. They need to be seen. They need to be validated in that. Hey. I'm sorry that my actions created an environment for you to feel that way. And I'm really sorry. I really do apologize. 
ha- you have to self-reflect. If, if you don't self-reflect, which there are times where I know you and I have both reflected to the point of picking scabs, but um, I think that especially for men, what a splendid example you are of being able mm. to say, mm-hmm. um, who am I to you? And I accept that regardless 100%. of how I feel about myself because a lot of the time, um, this might be kind of a blanket statement, but like men in particular, as you have mentioned, have been raised in a system where you are God's gift to the earth. Like <laughs> yeah. our, our yeah. cultures and society have fabricated itself around your validation, um, regardless of what you do. So I think that there is, there's so much wisdom to what you just said. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like we can have these individual experiences of difficulty in our families and we still have to hold the systems that affect us at the same time. If I grew up in a family where my mom, it was kind of a matriarch and my dad was the one who was small and then my mom belittled everybody, I have that experience. And at the same time, I go to school, I consume media, I consume all this other stuff saying it's a different way. So yeah, the system part of it, I think you said that well, like, we can do no wrong in certain ways, um, especially comparative to other people. Um, but yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. I still get it wrong. And it sucks. And it really, really sucks when you hurt somebody and um, in general. And then when you hurt somebody and you don't know that you did because you think, oh, if I had just known, if, if I had just been communicated with, I could have fixed right. it. I read somewhere a number of years ago, even if you get critiqued, and somebody comes at you in a horrible way, even if it's a stranger on the street who says some shit to you about you needed to change, the the humility you can show in saying, okay, hold on, let me consider, is there any truth to this? What's real here? What's true here? Is there something I can learn from this? Is there one, some way I can change and be better from this? And that's what I try to do, and I'm not perfect in it, and we're all going to make mistakes and hurt people. We can harm people as much as we've been harmed. And so- but there's so much so much power in that humility. Mm-hmm. Yep. So much power in humility and being able to filter through even the harshest of criticisms. And, you know, you say, you know, criticism, but I would also say, like, jokes, like little jabs that people make at you. I... And, you know, there's there's a couple of different types of personalities out there that, you know, will absolutely reject any type of criticism, any type of joke, mm-hmm. any type of anything that could help you um, alter your your of actions. Course. And then there's people who, like, take everything very personal. Um, I tend to be on the personal ladder, and it is learning to filter through things that people say. You know, here's what I here's what I know. I know that every single person who, lo- who lives has inherent worth and value. What that means is I am valuable and my core is good and then I have the propensity to act out of wounds and act out of trauma and hurt other people. What that also means is that I have a, a true self. I have a core authenticity. Uh, I don't even look at it as the person I'm supposed to be, but just the person that I am and I'm constantly trying to return to. So when I have that as a foundation and studying mental health, I've learned a lot about what's actually healthy, what's actually beneficial, what's actually like going to be good for relationships and for people. 
And all those things together help me filter things. So if I know that I'm worthy, and if I know myself and who I am, and I know what's going to be good in relationships to other people, I can a lot, e- a lot more easily be able to say, okay, that comment's not actually true because that's not actually healthy. Or this comment, hey, you know what? That's true. I didn't consider the perspective of somebody who held a different social identity than me. Yeah. I was speaking my experience. That's actually a great critique because I missed that. So thank you for saying that. I, I need to review yes. a little bit about myself. Yes. Through the lens of love. What is what is the lens of love and like helping and like caring for other people? Mm-hmm. No one is alone in this. Also, humans have been going through it since mm-hmm. the beginning of time, right? Like Adam and Eve um, or whoever you think the earliest archetype of a human was like we all what do, what do we all want we all we we all have the same core desires and needs and it's just like how do we get those met and like how do we hurt others trying to meet them you know what i mean so what do you what do you do um on the daily to like kind of keep your your true self at the front because you know i observe you and you are such a emotionally intelligent self aware um, proactive human. What do you, how do, how does this come to be? What do you do? I need to make something every day. I need to create something, even if it's not for anybody else than myself. I need to write a poem or I need to make a video. I need to write down a story idea, or I need to write a song or I need to make something every day. If I'm a creative person and that's part of my core identity and that's why I find uniqueness, I have to do that. And some days it looks different than other days, but just that core quality of creating has to be done. I need to be connecting with people and processing with people who can emotionally understand me. Not every day necessarily, but on a consistent basis. I need time to just be by myself away from my phone. Like walks are a godsend for me. I get bored real quickly because I got ADHD. And so like the movement of a walk and the movement of like seeing different things actually helps me to think. So when I'm on like a good, healthy, like rhythms, I'll do like mindfulness walks where I'll just like notice things, the rustling of the leaves, the colors of houses, what I'm feeling along the way. And there's so much science behind that too. Um, it's something I always say I'm going to do more and I don't always do more, but on my best days, I'll do that. But you're trying. But I'm trying. You're trying. And I'm sometimes trying. trying is the hardest mm-hmm. thing because we we live in a culture that's like if you don't succeed or like hit your checkbox of what the expectation was then you failed and your inherent worth goes down but the trying is is the thing the trying is also a thing to be able to check off it's two separate it's an a and a b of like did you try it did you finish it you know yeah you tried it and and that's what that's what productivity is too. Um, but what I what I heard you say of your your pieces of advice would be creating, connecting, and contemplation. You know, creating something out of your head, connecting with other friends, people who understand you and hear you, and contemplating with yourself. Yeah, that's wow. You're good at this. I'm gonna write that down. It's alliteration. 
for giving me alliteration. <laughs> that's that's. I mean, it's my name. It's in, it's ingrained in me. But you, that's it's it's all you. I I like I said. I look at you and as such a wise example of being in your mid twenties and like no one really knows what we're doing. We're all living in a science experiment. It's all trial and error. Um, and I look at you and I'm like, wow, someone who gets up every day and tries and that's resilience to me because it wasn't, it wasn't spoon fed to you. You weren't raised by mental health advocates and you have chosen to, to be the best version of yourself and choose to do that every day. Mm, I appreciate that, Jenny. That's very kind of you to say. Sure. That's very kind of you to say. Can you give me a piece of advice that, um, you know, a master being taught by another master, what is a piece of advice that one of your therapists have given you that has helped you? I'll give you two things. So I had a therapist who told me one time, like I was talking to him about depression. I was like, this is kind of what I struggle with. This is kind of my pattern of isolation, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes, you know what, what is the opposite of isolating? And I'm like, I'm like connecting to somebody else, like reaching out to somebody. He's like, yeah. Next time you feel like you got triggered and you want to isolate, I want you to reach out to somebody. And I don't want you to talk about your mental health. I don't want you to say anything about you struggling. I mean, you can if you want to, but that's not the point here. I want you to start to rewire your brain to where you feel like isolating, you reach out to somebody. So if that means texting somebody to go get Chipotle, if that means sending a funny meme or TikTok. And it was really, really helpful for me because one, it took away the pressure of having to be vulnerable. That's and when right. you don't really do well with that, and that's never really been a part of your story, especially as a man, that pressure can be enough to keep us from connecting in any way, shape, or right. form. I, have to, I think about it all the time. I think about it probably once a month, ever since I was probably like three years ago. Um, Sometimes the hardest thing is the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is. Yeah. It's kind of like, mm, this is too easy. This is too texting someone texting someone a meme is way too easy, but it's like actually that's what's going that's what's going to help because when you're in your head you're dead, you know. Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. I really feel like a lot of times we get caught up like looking at the top of like the staircase we want to climb like this this ideal version of us this ideal life and we look at how high it is and we're like fuck it I can never get there Are you fucking kidding me. If we just focus on one step a day, we're going to realize down the road, oh, shit, look how far up I am. Also, look how far when up. you start to recognize that you are your past version's ideal self, when you – the staircase – you're all – like you're not dead today. So obviously you've made some sort of progress. you survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. I don't know the whole trend of like – Make your, like, 10-year-old self proud or, like, my 15-year-old self will be so excited of, like, where I am now. I don't I don't know if I buy into that because I don't know if my 15-year-old self knew the goals to actually be working toward. Um, but I do think that there is something to say for that type of self-reflection of just kind of like, oh, I can be proud of myself today. Like, I can use the tools that I have learned up to this point to continue going on the ladder and also like give myself a pat on the back because it's the hardest thing to do. Anyone with a growth mindset, it is the most difficult practice, which should be <laughs> sure. the easiest one. Should What's hard should be easy. Of just like, oh, look how far I've come. Oh, check that out. That's crazy that I've like survived up to this point because um, that's kind of what propels you 
or at least myself to keep going. You are so knowledgeable when it comes to uh, psychology, mental health, actual practices. Is there anything that you have learned in the wild or like Mm -hmm. anything, any experiences with, I don't know, a girlfriend or a friend or a leader that you're like, oh, I didn't even need to hire a therapist. Like God, the universe, the butterfly effect taught me this. Yeah. You know what I think? Yes. The answer is yes. Uh, But that's happened actually a lot lately, like from like almost applying little tidbits of information I learned along the way. Like, I mean, I've had conversations with people before where something clicks to me and I'm like, oh, I run from relationships because of that totally makes sense to me. I mean, this is kind of a cheating thing because this was like a conversation I had with a professor who was also a therapist so it's almost unfair but he wasn't my therapist and so like in conversations with him I learned like I could tell you any feeling that I ever knew I ever had I felt that but in so far as like feeling that and experiencing that in my body it was different and it really clicked there and so now I pay a little bit more attention to my body and in moments where I feel tension I'm like okay what oh wow I feel a lot of tightness in the chest okay let's sit there for a second Okay, and so now in practice with relationships, if I'm, let's just say I'm on a date, for example, and there's this propensity to be like, ah, nah, nah, I'm just not into it. And now I can be like, okay, let's check your body right now. What do you feel? Okay, do you actually not like her? Or is this an old pattern of like avoiding intimacy and vulnerability with somebody? And so now my body helps me know that, okay, I actually am just not interested. I just don't connect with them versus, okay, you actually could be interested in them, but you're not even allowing yourself to do that because you're afraid of this or that. Or It is the experiential knowledge and the textbook knowledge that kind of get to marry each other, which helps us in our 20s, I think, because we can only speak into that, you know, navigate our life. I'm the same way. I went on a date recently, and after I left... I said, you know what? I'm feeling a lot of feelings. I don't want this to trigger, like this is kind of triggering my attachment style. I'm going to feel my body. And then I left myself a voice note. And I, because who's a better friend than me? You know, like who is a better friend to yourself than you? Like, yeah, I could call a friend, but like I'm the one who just experienced that. So I'm going to leave a voice note for myself. And I was like, I'm kind of feeling this and I'm kind of thinking this and this, 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 and and yeah. And like you end it and then you're like, I'm not going to be able to gaslight myself. I'm not going to be able to lie to myself tomorrow or later on today because I just told the truth and I was a friend to myself. And being able to have that type of self-reflection, that kind of vulnerability and honesty, and then be able to like filter it through the lens of like, okay, I also know attachment theory exists. I also know that I've been hurt by this guy and he did this, 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 and you know, all of those different things. So I think that that's such a, oh my gosh, what a, what a great piece of knowledge to feel, feel what you're feeling, which like I said, it's always the, <laughs> the simplest cliches that you're just like, why don't I do this more? Yeah, why don't I do yeah, this more? hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's like, we are such a mental society, a cognitive society. Like we can know a hundred million things, but we don't know anything because it's not connected to our emotions or our body. So like for me, like if I could boil down what healing is, 
in our world, mm-hmm. whether you're healing from trauma or, or wounds or whatever it may be, is integration. It's a clinical word. It basically is this idea that when we get traumatized or when we get hurt, we get disconnected from ourselves. And so in trauma therapy, you are trying to re, re uh, introduce almost and reconnect different parts of people who have been um, estranged internally. And yes. so that also looks like somebody's maybe very cognitive and can't access emotions. Somebody's very emotional and can't access cognition or their body. And so integration is the process of being able to have our emotional brain and our thinking brain and our body all making decisions together and integration uh, individually looks like us returning to our true self. Who yeah. are we? Who are we meant to be? And I don't necessarily even mean that in like a what's my purpose thing, but in a like, are you living authentically as you want to live into who you are? Yes. Like, are you Troy Bolton trying to please your dad to play hoops, or are you going trying out for the musical because you love it? Yeah. Right? Like, who are you? Are you living authentically into that? Are you living authentically to your values? Because when we don't live to our values, that's when tension comes. Can I ask you, how do you define freedom? Hmm. Wow. How do I define freedom? Freedom is the ability to choose. And so I feel like freedom for a person is the ability to choose things and the ability to know what they want to choose. Let's say I'm like a sheep and I've been trapped in this really Mm. small pen for like most of my life. And then a new Mm. farmer buys the farm and he takes out all the gates and he says, hey, bro, just go roam, roam the hillside like you're free. If what if I don't move? I don't really believe it. So for me, freedom is like the ability to choose things, the ability to know what you want to choose and then the ability to actually like move That's in that right. direction. That's right. The whole elephant tied to the chair thing. Do you really have freedom? Does a does a tree really fall if you don't hear a sound? Is, can the elephant really go anywhere if he doesn't know that he's not tied to a chair that actually right. can't hold him back? Exactly. Do you feel like there was anyone in particular or a piece of information in particular that freed you from the cycle that you began um, to deconstruct. You know what? It's uh, people, authors, creatives, things that I've read. Honestly, like for me, black women have been a huge, huge source of obviously inspiration, but insight and knowledge and understanding. Um, Asada Shakur, um, Angela Davis. Freedom for me has come, as I've read activists, black Mm -hmm. authors, indigenous creators. But I just think like when I finally realized that all of these oppressive systems also hurt me, Mm -hmm. that was probably the biggest unlocking because like, you know, you hear all your life, like men are this, men are that, men are like destroying and users and oppressors and stuff. And as I started to listen to women and non-binary people more, I was Mm -hmm. like, This is bad for me, too, because I can't be my sensitive self. I can't be my vulnerable self. I can't be, like, soft or, like, there are things that are too feminine or too gay back from fucking middle school days. That shit affects me, Mm. too. So there's probably some framing of, like, 
maybe it's a little bit selfish to like not to to only be awakened when you realize shit affects you and at the same time it's like sometimes we can't know in some circumstances it's hard to know until you experience something right 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 the health of the universe is on the shoulders of every individual you know if one person is not healthy it affects all of us mm-hmm. and whenever power structures and mm-hmm. you know things crumble it's kind of like all of us crumble with it but like what great ground to be built upon you know all right mr reed i am so grateful that you got to occupy a little bit of uh the space on my my screen i wish that you were always on my screen mm. honestly you know me too um, I wish that I had a, a, yeah, well, maybe we'll make an app, some artificial intelligence, like pocket read app and you can just pop it in and say, what's up? I need some okay. <laughs> pocket read. That sounds, I mean, I think that you've already created copy for it. This is, Perfect. Okay. Read. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you? Um, not in real life. Cause that'd be kind of scary. Yeah. That'd be fun. Online. I give you my address. Do you want my social as well? Like for like yeah. online stuff. Um, you can find me on TikTok at Reed Burvick. You can find me on Instagram at the same one and on Twitter at the same one. And my website is reedburvick.com. I have a podcast called Recess where I talk about mental health stuff. Cannot recommend enough. That's on all the things. Um, yeah, and then in your dreams. You in can your find dreams. me in your dreams. No, in your dreams. Read. Thank you. Um, my follow-up follow, follow up question, the last one, is if you could tell your younger self anything today, what would you say to him? Mm, if I could tell my younger self anything, I would probably tell him the pain that you feel, the hurt that you receive from other people, the neglect that you suffer on a near day-to-day basis does not mean you are deficient in any way. And even if other people don't see your significance, you are still significant on the basis of your humanity. That's right. I love Little Reed. Yeah, he was sick. He was really afraid of a lot of things, but he was a goofball. Mm. He was a goofy kid. But man, he has grown into a great friend of mine. Heck yeah, and we're happy about that. Um, Reed, thank you again. And uh, you guys catch him on socials, catch him on TikTok. He is always uh, sharing all of this knowledge and so much more. Uh, Yeah, we love you and we're grateful for you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jenny. If you learned anything or enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review our show. I would love nothing more than to hear your thoughts and topics that you're excited to dig deeper into. Tag me on TikTok, shoot me a message on Instagram, they're linked in the show notes, and don't forget to be kind to yourself today.